This is a download from News Talk 106 to 108. To download other programmes or for more information, go to newstalk.ie. Good morning. Well, it's called Call of Duty Black Ops 3, the video game half the boys in the country are playing or want to play, even though it's rated 18s. So are you the parent who's given in or the one who's standing firm? Or do you have girls and don't know what I'm talking about? Gaming, moral panic and mainstream culture. What to do? That's our talking point. In studio, Coleman Nocter is a child psychotherapist and author of Cop On, a must read for modern parents. Africa is a lecturer in sociology in Maynooth University. Uh, Jamie McCormick is a games researcher and on the line from Galway is Breed Horan and she's mum to Jack who's nine and in the cold face of these problems. Um, Jamie, there are probably now a lot of people listening who don't know what I'm talking about. Will you explain to them what is Black Ops and in particular what is a first person shooter game and why it's kind of different to other video games? Okay, thanks for having me on. Uh, Firstly, it's a first-person shooter, so that means that you take the point of view from somebody's eyes. So you would be looking out, seeing the hands and a gun in front of you as you run around an environment, which is usually a war zone, with a variety of eclectic uh, weapons shooting people. Um, And obviously there has a single-player component where you play through a story, but the more popular side of it is online, where you're playing rounds and rounds and rounds against multiple other people who are controlled by other people who are playing the game. Yeah, so describe that aspect to it because I think a lot of people might be familiar with the idea that you get a CD and you put it in the machine and there's a kid sitting in front of a telly at home playing this game. But they they can go online and different things happen. Yeah, so when you're playing online, you're connecting with a group of 30, 40, 50 different other people within the gaming environment. Uh, Often you will have a headset on and you'll have a microphone similar to, well, not as big as we have in the studio here, but, and you can talk and shout and curse and, you know, you know, have that kind of conversation with people on your own team because it's usually a, a team split in two and then your competitor team. And this game is rated 18s. Yes. Now, why is that? Because it should be. Uh, it's a, it's a f- nearly photorealistic game. So the, the graphical quality is very, very, very high. Uh, also, the content of the game is violent. You know, you can go around, you can shoot people in the head, you can shoot people in the leg, you can shoot them in the arm. And the whole purpose of the game is to kill the opposing team. Uh, or depending on what game modes, you might have some strategic goals, such as to capture certain areas and hold them for a certain amount of time within, you know, 10, 15, 20 minute rounds. Yeah, and uh, back in November on Black Friday, I was one of those parents queuing in GameStop to uh, get uh, a PlayStation 4. And I said to the guy, listen, I have two sons, they're 12 and 11, and uh, they're telling me that everybody's got black ops and Mm -hmm. I'm mean not to let them have it. But I've looked it up and it seems too violent to me so that they shouldn't have it. So who's right? And he said, you're both right. Uh, They shouldn't have it, but everybody does have it. (laughs) Well, most games these days have what's called the PEGI rating, which is a European rating system. Now, it's it's different than the IFCO rating. Uh, IFCO ratings on films uh, would have a, uh, a legal consequence if they're sold to an under 18. So if you sold an 18's film to a child, uh, technically you could get prosecuted, although I've never heard in my life, and I'm 33, of that ever happening. PEGI ratings are... Uh, they're not mandatory, but most games and from high-end publishers that would be selling games in the likes of GameStop would have a rating system on them as well. Uh, and the rating relates to either the content or the difficulty of the game. So you can have a game that's 16, that is a very difficult game, you know, it can be quite a cerebral game, whereas most of the games are there because they have references to either violence, sex, drugs. 
And that's why they're 18s. Right. So Africa, um, I know that this is all my peers are talking about because they're under huge pressure from their children uh, to get this game. And, and from what I can gather, most of them who want it get it, you know. And I have to say, I caved. I got it for them. I regret it, but I did it. Okay. So I'm not judging. I'm just trying to figure out how it came to this. Um, so it is an 18s games, but all these kids, and we're talking primary school mm. kids, do actually have it. What's your research telling you about the effect that it has on it? Is this middle class moral panic? Um, or, you know, are we really being bad parents because they really shouldn't have this game? Well, I, I'm not sure we could generalise like that. And I hope, Sarah, you're playing the game with your children rather than just standing back. No. Because I think the best <laughs> advice on many of these things is that it's not always the same for all children and that there's an age rating. And then, as Jamie has said, there's also content indicators or symbols beside the ages, which give you a bit more information as to what is in the game. So the first thing is parents need to be looking at that. Then if parents decide that their children can have this game, I think they also should be looking at playing it with them and at least discussing with them who they're playing with, how they're playing it, what modes they're playing it in. Are they doing single player or multiplayer? Um, The research on video games as in terms of the effects and the violence, and I'm coming from a media communications and sociology perspective, has now been done for about 10 years. And we have... Some research which points to a small impact on children, but most of it is very inconclusive. And there is very little evidence which points to any medium or long term impact on behaviour like aggression or other things with children. Now, a lot of this research has been done on games before they all became online. Mm. And so what they're looking at is the content purely, the imagery, the videos. Yet now we have to look and do more research on the online chat, the communication, not just to the content in the traditional, the way we think of a film, the images we see, the music, that type of content. I think we now have to also think of these as social networking spaces. Mm. These are places where you can text, you can message, you can video chat. So depending on the game, you also have that communication element. And so now we have to rethink a little bit how we think about games. Yes, they're for adults as well as children, but there are also different types of content involved in them. On that point, Ryan Tuberty this week interviewed a woman called uh, Lauren Lefebvre, whose 14-year-old son had been groomed online in a situation like that. I don't think they were necessarily playing black ops, but there was a man on it who was playing with them. They lived in London, sent for a taxi to pick up this guy. And this relationship had built up over years. It wasn't something sudden and, of course, ended up murdering the guy. Now, I know... Those kind of things happen in the real world, too, that it's not just something that happens in in cyberspace. Um, Do you think is it too easy for parents to get caught up in that kind of fear and as a result, maybe uh, are are too fearful of it and aren't getting involved in it and and it could have a backlash in that way? Or is this a, a legitimate fear to have? I think that type of fear is a legitimate fear. I would never say to a parent, you shouldn't be having a fear like that. Mm. Uh, I think as we look into what is going to be safer Internet Day next week, all across Europe, 
games have to be included in that discussion. And we have to look at them as spaces where we can have really enjoyable social entertainment experiences. But there is a possibility for you to engage with people who may not be posing as them, may not be actually playing as their real selves, mm. may be posing as something else. In fact, sometimes that is part of the enjoyment is to play as different selves or to put on a different identity. But parents need to try to understand that a little bit more. They need to think that whether it's on a console, a mobile phone, a tablet, these are also about communication and chat, as well as about playing those entertainment experiences. And as all of the networks on all of the consoles have gone online and now smartphones, the kids are in the back of the car on the way to a game, soccer match, GAA games, playing on their phones. You should be having that conversation as a parent going, who are you playing with? What type of game is that? What mode are you playing in? I don't I would never discount that fear, even though as researchers and academics, we can see the long term effects of playing some of these violent games has not been proven in any sense in an academic sense. So, Coleman, it strikes me that there are two sides to this whole conversation. One is the parenting. Um, but for the moment, we'll stick with the actual gaming side of it. Uh, you know, from the kids that you're dealing with, is gaming becoming a problem, a real problem? Um, it's certainly more of a feature than it was before. Um, and I, I mean, you can get into kind of problematic relationships with gaming, which some people call addiction. I'm not entirely sure about that. But there's certainly more accounts of parents having to take the fuses out of the fuse box at four o'clock in the morning to stop this Call of Duty marathon. There's certainly much more ferocious arguments over the termination of the time with the device. Um, so uh, I suppose it's the relationship with the technology that seems problematic as opposed to the, it's as opposed to being bad technology. It's oftentimes bad usage. Um, uh, why are you kind of reluctant to use the word addiction? I suppose there's some evidence to suggest like a kind of gambling addiction. There's a kind of psychoactive dopamine activity that happens during an arousal of a game. But that can happen in many other activities like sports and stuff like that. So you're just getting gratified by it. Um, but I suppose in terms of the way in which games are set up, there's a kind of a, you know, getting to the next level and having to keep you engaged. And I'm guessing Jamie might be able to speak more about yeah. this than me, but they're kind of set up to kind of hook you in and keep going and keep going. Um, so there's a reluctance around that. But I would see it even in the smaller child where we were doing a, kind of an experiment recently where we had kids playing with traditional toys and they were drawing and painting and then we moved on to the next t a topic which was tablets and the difference in them relinquishing the tablet to any other toy was markedly different they were much more irritable much more uh, and it wasn't they weren't paying for that length of time it was maybe 10 minutes but there's something qualitatively different around the relationship that children are forming with devices and that's much to do with looking at their parents' relationship with devices. If Have we any um, information yet on how it might transform brain development? Not, I mean, again, uh, as I said, the, the yeah. research is so conflicting in terms of whether it's done by a gamer who'll say there's no side effects to it. If it's done by a psychologist, there's loads. And it, it kind of rules out each other. Um, where I would see it more in terms of I suppose, issues around irritability, frustration tolerance, those sorts of things, which may be there already, but they're kind of amplified in the gaming scenario where parents would say, you know, he throws that controller at the window and he gets really frustrated and he gets really agitated. And there are certain young people who I think have a vulnerability around 
gaming that you'd kind of say, well, I need to keep a closer eye on this kid than the kid who just gives up the device and walks away from it. And, you know, people will engage with the with the, the activity differently. But I suppose the other thing is, and we're talking, you know, around, you know, people's attention spans and, you know, terms that, like, if you're teaching something online, people are saying, you know, 15-minute chapters is most that people will engage with at any one time. The kind of sitting down for an hour-long lecture is something of the past. And, you know, you have to make things much more snippy. If you're, you know, and that's just to do with content. That's in terms mm-hmm. of the volume of data that's, Deluge, the deluge of data that we're there that you know if it doesn't hook us really quickly uh, we're going to move on from it but I suppose from children's point of view um, again it's, it is a kind of a dependency that I would see as the major issue and the fallout of the family landscape and arguments that happen around trying to you know sever the relationship between a device and that can come down to social media come down to but gaming is certainly a part of it more so with boys than girls I would say Yeah and I want to talk about that too and uh, Breach I'll come to you now in just one second but just on the difference between say my children would have started out playing um, Lego games like um, Lord of the Rings and things like that where it's the little Lego characters are running around the screen and this shift to this first person shooter perspective does seem to me to be something kind of creepy. I really don't like it. Do you see a qualitative difference in that perspective? Well, we have to look at how a child's emotional and cognitive development happens. You're supposed to introduce reality to a child gradually. So the four-year-old who thinks he's Spider-Man, that's fine. But if he still thinks he's Spider-Man at 14, you might have to have a chat. (laughs) So, you know, as you go up, you kind of, the, the illusion of fantasy into reality naturally occurs. But if you're still in a fantasy space where fantasy and reality still kind of isn't that clearly defined and you're introducing kind of very severe realities like shooting games or pornography or whatever the case, the kid cannot make the distinction at that point. And the, the, the point about having multiple cells makes that even more confusing. If I'm, you know, you're trying to form your own identity as children hit teenagers and they have, you know, their their LinkedIn, their, or not LinkedIn, but their Twitter and their Facebook and yeah. their Tumblrs and all these different Instagram, me's. Instagram, everything. How do they yeah. integrate that identity? But also if, if a younger child is playing a war game and shooting people and killing people, they might, and you'll see it in small children, when they come off the console, they'll act it out in real life. You know, they're kind of mimicking it. And some of that's fine if it's harmless fun. Uh, and you're not, and I'm not suggesting that people who play games will go out and, and act on that, but it might be a very confusing reality around how to conduct myself or how do I understand myself. And I just think introducing it where they're not emotionally or cognitively able has the potential to really cause con- considerable confusion. Uh, Breed Horan, um, can you tell me about how you're getting on with your son and what's he looking for and what have you decided to give him? Hi, Sarah. Yes, um, I have a nine-year-old boy. He turned nine in November. And the issue of gaming is ongoing in the house as a discussion. But we've made the decision not to give in to it. We have a we, which we say is um, a family we. Um, and Jack plays um, on that FIFA games, FIFA football, uh, FIFA 14 or mm-hmm. 15, and the games that came with it. And other than that, we don't have any other games in the house. So there are no shooting games. There are no um, war games. The only driving game he can play is Mario Kart. Now, um, when my kids started coming home from school, they were saying, look, everybody else has this. And I started texting around some of the moms and dads who are great parents. I really respect they're stricter than me in an awful lot of areas. And, and I realised a lot of them did have it. And 
I didn't want my kids to be the ones at school that were the, you know, that stood out and weren't able to talk about this stuff with their friends. What is is Jack saying that other people have it? Um, and if they do, is is that something that bothers you or, or you're willing to just stand by your own set of values? Um, I think I just stand by my own set. It's the same thing that I would say to Jack. They have different rules in their house yeah. than we have in ours. Now, um, Jack goes to a rural school. So in his class year, boys, they're only eight of that age. But they're in a room with fourth class. So you could say then they're 16. Um, and they seem to mostly play football games, those who play. But there are one or two who have the other games and seem to be allowed to play it all the time. I did have one boy in the house who was tired one day and I was joking with him. Were you up all night? And he said, no, he said, I, was, I got up early this morning to meet a fella online. Right. Okay. And I was surprised at that. Um, but that's, you know, different houses have different rules. Mm. And we have been offered at Christmas, we were offered three PS3s from two cousins and Jack's older sister's boyfriend because they were upgrading to PS4. So we would have had them for free. Yeah. And I said no thanks to all of them. Now, one is being held in trust <laughs> for, <laughs> for down the line. But I told the other two to go ahead and sell or offer it to someone else. And um, he found this out about three weeks ago um, and he wasn't a bit impressed. And he said, why did you do that, mom? I would have loved that. And I said to him, and I think one of your earlier speakers referred to this. I said, Jack, when the day comes that I say to you, um, your time is up and you don't argue with me, then I will know that you're ready to have this. Because Jack is um, pretty much an only child at home. He will flip from game to game. He'll, he's a very active kid. He loves soccer and lots of sports. So he'll be outside. He'll be in the playroom with Lego. He'll do lots of things. But the only game he won't voluntarily uh, uh, surrender is the Wii. Right. And, and do you it, notice mu- always have to be asked. Do you notice much difference between the television and the the gaming? You know, sometimes I think, look, maybe this is just what they do instead of watching TV. I don't think that their concentration goes as deep into the telly. Right. Um certainly when I look at Jack. Now, the way I limit it is um we try and keep it weekend only and at the weekend I will say do you want to, do you want to go on it for half an hour or he will ask um, that being said if he gets up early ahead of me he could have the wee on but he could equally have match of the day on early early on a Sunday morning because it's on too late for him to watch um, but when I get up I, I will always say what time did you get up at and he'll always tell me half an hour less because it means he could have been on it for an hour Right, okay. <laughs> so I, I, the other thing I'll do is if he's really tired, I'll say to him, don't jump up early in the morning to play wee because I'll be taking the remotes down to bed with me. Right. And that's what I do. I try and, you know, I try and make it, make him see as well because if he's wall fallen with tiredness and he's heading off to soccer training, you know, he just can't, his body can't sustain getting up at seven o'clock and playing something like that for two hours. And, you know, yeah. I'd like him to stay in bed a little longer. And, you know, get <laughs> we all would like that. Yeah. Um, Jamie, going back to the, um, the online um, activity that goes on. So, so you're doing this. Um, you're, you're gaming, right? So what kind of stuff are you playing? Uh, 
Okay, so my background is I worked in publishers, actually not far from here, which would have ran massively multiplayer online role-playing games. Yeah. Um, we At the time, the company would have brought in a lot of games from Asia into Europe. Uh, I also, in my time, ran the Xbox Center that used to be on South William Street, just around the corner from here. Uh, and that was basically the biggest lads pad in the city. You know, 40 Xbox 360s, each had their own screen, each had leather seats. Uh, you know, a lot of that was people either playing games themselves or playing within the network or else playing online. Uh, myself these days, I don't have as much time to play games as I wish I would. Uh, I would play games like Fallout 4 with my wife. And what's that? Uh, it is a first person shooter with strategy in it. Uh, it's set in basically the world has ended because of nuclear war. You're set in Boston. Uh, you're running around a completely wrecked landscape, shooting monsters, but also solving puzzles. And, uh, you know, you have decisions that you make in terms of when you're talking to people. You can be nice. And you can be not so nice. Was your wife a gamer um, before you met her? Or yes. Is it, right. Okay. So you had something in common then. Yes. Now, but it is unusual, is it, for women? It, I mean, it is mainly a lads thing, isn't it? Less so. When I would have been grown up, I'm 33 now, so when I would have been growing up, it would have been very much, uh, you know, I started off on Commodore 64 and Nintendo and Super Nintendo and all the way up. I've had, I, I still have all of those consoles because when it comes to me having my kids, they're going to be starting off on Super Nintendo. <laughs> you know, Super Mario World, brilliant game. That's going to be a timeless and game. And why do you like the gaming? What does it do for you? Uh, it's enjoyable. I enjoy <laughs> it. You know, you, you, you have several different entertainment choices available to you. You can read, you can listen to music, you can watch TV. All of them are generally passive. You have something that has been pre-made that is being shown to you or streamed to you or listening to you. With the game, you have the control. You know, you can run around, you can do what you want. You know, you can be nice, you can not be nice. Um, one of the most interesting memories I have from the Xbox Center was uh, actually there was a couple who came in with a child who maybe was four or five euro. And I think the game was a game called Open Season, which is based on some cartoony film. And it was fascinating to see because, uh, you know, we'd get parents coming in the whole time. We'd have to ask them, you know, little Johnny wants to come up and play Call of Duty 2 at the time. And we'd be like, how old is Johnny? And he's just like eight. And it's just like, not relevant. You know, it's not appropriate. We're not going to give him that game. Uh, 15, 16 for an 18s game, obviously, you'd be a little bit less. Sometimes it's hard to tell. But also, you can probably understand. Like, we'd know the content ourselves from from playing mm. the games. Uh, but w- going back to that particular circumstance, like, you know, that that family came in with their child. They sat them down and we asked them if they want any help. And they said, no, this is the first time this kid has ever been exposed to a game. And they wanted to do that as a communal thing. Right. Now, there's a generation gap there. Both of those parents played games. They knew what the crack was and they wanted to introduce that. Whereas, you know, when I was working in retail in the, the forerunner of GameStop back in the early 2000s, you know, you would have very much less parents who would actually know what the games were. You know, the reference point might be Pong or Space Invaders, or any of these arcade games that were there as well. Um, And, you know, at the time it was very difficult, you know, if somebody came in and there was a 12-year-old there and there was a game that we didn't think was suitable, you know, we in the shop would actually take the game, put it onto the screen and show them what it is. Whereas nowadays it's very easy for a parent, you know, just pull out their smartphone, go to YouTube, type in the game name, gameplay, and within two minutes you can get the idea of, of a game. Now, when you're watching the trailer for a game, generally they're going to show you what most of the content is. So you can see very quickly, is this a cerebral game? Is it a puzzle game? Is it a sports game? Is it a racing game? And even like within the first person shooters, you know, you do have ones that would be comedic. You know, Splatoon is a big game on the Wii U that's like paintball. Mm. You know, that's one thing. But, you know, something like Grand Theft Auto 5, 
where you have full freedom to do lots of very bad things. You know, that's one thing. And then there's other games as well that kind of go a little bit overkill in terms of that. It's very much gore, you know, yeah. and, you know, it's up to a parent. A parents would know their own kid and know what they want to do. Okay, look, I have to take a quick break and we'll be back with more after these, especially on the parenting thing and making your child the only child that doesn't have it. And is it bad? <laughs> Talking Point on News Talk 106 to 108. And welcome back to Talking Point. We're talking about gaming this morning. In studio, Coma Nocter is a child psychotherapist and daughter of Capon. Afra Kerr is a lecturer in sociology at Maynooth University. Jamie McCormick is a games researcher. And on the line in Galway is Bree Torn. She's a mum to Jack, who's nine. Um, Afra Kerr, you know, someone else was making the point. Look, forget about the first person shooter thing. That's not such a big deal. What's important is the other stuff that's going on in the game. And in gaming, there's all this other stuff about the depiction of women, for example, um, which isn't particularly wholesome. Maybe uh, we call it, maybe Jamie might uh, disagree with that. But you get those kind of depictions in television as well. So, I mean, Mm. James Bond isn't exactly, you know, treating women (laughs) and they're not exactly getting powerful roles, you know. Um, So is it wrong to get hung up on the first person shooter thing when there could be other games that don't have that perspective, but are actually introducing other things that you mightn't like? I think when you look at Call of Duty, you have to think this is the equivalent of a Hollywood blockbuster. This is a huge game by a huge company with a huge marketing budget, which is probably why it's in all the shops that we know and we see it and we see the television advertising. There are thousands and thousands of other games with lots of different types of content. And some of it is problematic in its depictions in the way that film, television and other other forms of media can have problematic content. Actually, there's a lot of research going on by academics, sociologists and media researchers about the types of content, depictions of race, ethnicity, how different cultures are depicted in games. And that's proving quite interesting depending on where the game comes from, whether it's a Japanese game, a Chinese game, a North American game. So not all games are the same. And there can be problematic content in the imagery and in the talk, in the chat. And Mm. often some of the things that we see, you can see elements of homophobia or sexism in chat as well as in the content. And I think just as um, academics and parents have raised this with the film industry and the television industry, we don't want to see all the women in the kitchen doing the washing up, even though we still see it on the fairy ads. We also have to have that debate about games as well. But presumably they will say, look, for example, I don't know, Jamie, is Grand Theft Auto, is that supposed to be 18s as well? Very much so. Yeah, because that's got all prostitutes and lap dancing and all kinds of stuff in it, I believe. But they'll say, look, it is 18s. If you got that for your child, you can't blame us for that. You're a bad parent. So that would be their response, which is a legitimate response. Um, I, I, d- I wouldn't like to start off and say we, you know, we're definitely going to eliminate all forms of content. But I do think when we're making entertainment products, we have to have a responsibility. Industry has a responsibility, parents and educators and those of us looking at to start a debate about what are the forms of content that we're producing And then to inform parents and other people about what that content is. And then let the parents work with the kids, teenagers, depending on the age group and the age range. The starting point is PEGI is a self-regulation system by the industry. 
it's now part of a more global system that is going to apply to online and apps. So Peggy that you see on the standard discs is also... But I think the point is that Peggy might be worthy, but what I see, and obviously I'm including myself in this, is just whole-scale collapse by the parents who have just given in to the pressure. I think that's not entirely true. I think you now have people who are of parents' age who grew up with games. And that's Jamie's saying. And this is Jamie and nearly me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not saying my age on her. And and so a lot of the people who are parents now have actually grown up with forms of games and are more informed than we might think, actually. And I think the fact that we're even having this discussion online on mainstream radio is a good thing to raise this issue and to give parents the language to talk about it and talk about it with their children. Uh, So, Coleman, so on the parenting... Um, you know, it was, you know, my parents were very strict, you know, and there's, there's actually stuff that I missed out on as a kid that like the BBC, because we didn't get a high aerial, which marked me for life. I'm only starting to watch Doctor Who now, you know, this is the kind of cultural catch up that I'm doing. And I suppose I didn't want to do that to my children, you know. So how... How do you? I mean, Breed has been really strong there and she's saying, no, these are my values. We don't want this in the house and I don't care what other people are doing. How do you draw that line between your own values and not depriving your children of some social and cultural mainstream uh, um, meme? (laughs) (laughs) Go for it. I I mean, first of all, to any parents listening, I fully appreciate the power of pester power. Like it really is relentless and it's really difficult to do that. But what you notice is that most of the class, cult, like Breed was saying, her culture in that class was FIFA and stuff was yeah. the mainstream. But what does happen is we chase the lowest common denominator. The first parent to cave yes. and give the game means that there's added more weight to that. And so... Soon the majority have it and the minority don't. So we need to track down parent zero and, and really give out to them, no, don't and, we? And, 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 <laughs> well, I think, to, to be honest, I think giving an 18s game to an eight-year-old is something that we need to kind of have a chat about. And I, I don't mean to come That's across a very this. nice way of putting it. <laughs> um, because, I mean, I just think in terms, like we don't, as, as we were saying earlier, we don't know the outcome of this in terms of the long-term outcome of it. And, you know, the point of whether you game with your children is a really good one. But I don't know whether a lot of parents, certainly in the last five to ten years, their parents are getting better, would have the savvy to know. I mean, I've had lots of parents who said, I've taken off all his social media contact because he did something last week and it's all sorted. So he's just in there on the Xbox. And you're kind of going, the Xbox, you can get online with the Xbox. And people didn't know that, you know. people And people do, I think now we see the, the middle-aged moms going onto Facebook and becoming more tech-addicted themselves now. And that's a, that's a change in the last number of years. But there, there is a kind of, like, that is a portal to the outside world. Mm. And, you know, parents would say, you know, oh, he's fine. He, I see it on the screen. He's playing with David. David's the kid who lives down the road. Turns out when you talk to the child, David is a 59-year-old man living in Arkansas. And again, we need to, there's a collective responsibility. I think parents have a responsibility. The gaming industry has a responsibility to protect the sales of this. And and as Jamie was saying, if retailers are there saying, I don't think this is the right game for your child, you might have to have a look at it. I think that's really good. I think there is a responsibility there. But at the end of the day, it is your child and you have to kind of take the responsibility of what they're going to be viewing and how they're going to interpret that. Um, And I would say 
it's like you know getting any sort of smart device or any sort of gaming device it's like getting a puppy at Christmas the work doesn't stop there mm. you have to mediate your child's relationship with the technology you don't just get the thing give it to them and say off you go you're getting something that you have a responsibility to mediate their relationship with them you wouldn't open the fridge and say to a five year old have at it at the ice cream you'd say this is a portion this is the right amount this is when you start this is when you stop and you'd be involved in kind of mediating their relationship yeah. with junk food in the same way as gaming is not bad in, in moderation but it is when it's excessive but as a parent you have a responsibility to mediate how your child's engaged in that and the relationship they form with it and certain children will have a vulnerability to have a very f- f- kind of uh, volatile relationship with it, and that child needs more help than maybe the child who's less mm. uh, get getting in ex- ex- Breed, exercise I mean I suppose maybe you're a little bit lucky in that the uh, peer group of your child, you know, hasn't moved on, you know, to this stage yet. Um, What's your plan in the future? You know, when he gets to 13, 14, 15, do you think you'll still be able to hold firm when the other parents do start knocking like dynamos? Like dominoes. Dominoes, (laughs) that's it. Please excuse me. You know, how, you know, you haven't come under the big pressure yet. It's still out there. We have had pressure and I mean, um, Jack has an uncle who is very techy and when they go to his house, all they want to do is get upstairs onto the Xbox. So I had to speak to him and say, look, it's not that I don't want him playing, but he's wanting to come to your house, not to visit and talk. He's only looking forward to coming to go and that. So um, don't assume that when he comes, he can go up. And, and you're very kind to have it there for them. And how but did he take that? Did he feel oh, he a bit judged? Fine. Right, He was fine. He had bought um, a driving game, which was one of these games with really loud noise and stuff. And I found when it came time to leave, um, there were terrible tantrums. Really bad. Yeah. And you know, I took it to be, you know, the really heavy music and stuff. Um, and he just wasn't able for it, I think. You know, a child at that yeah. stage, that was about two years ago, so he would have been seven. And they're not able for it. So that's the approach I take. And I do think that everyone has to take the responsibility of the off button. Mm. You know, um, so like your previous speaker said, that there are limits and you don't give anyone anything in excess because anything in excess is not good. But things in moderation are okay. So I would hope that down the line we'd have a plan for moderation. Yeah. What about the other point that... Look, this is the modern street. So, for example, one of my other sons was playing Minecraft, you know, which, as you might know, it's no violence or anything. Well, there is some survival stuff in it, but the way most of the kids play it is just building and they're working in teams together, building stuff. Um, But it is multiplayer. There is this chat going on that Avra was talking about, you know, with other players whom they don't know. They are strangers. They come together to do one particular thing. And... I've questioned my child about how it's moderated and how people behave in that. And I felt I had to take the attitude that this is the modern street. So 40 years ago, you might have let your kids out and they'd get streetwise and they'd figure out how to you know, manage relationships and watch out for cars and stuff like that. And this is their future. So they need to learn how to conduct themselves in this environment. Is that an, a, an argument that ho- would hold sway with you? Um, I suppose because Jack is so young, not at the moment. I did lurch when um, the boy I was speaking about sort of said he was meeting someone online to mm. play a game and I thought that he's very young. Um, and then I said, well, that's obviously the culture 
in their house because you have to take another thing into consideration. Um, Jack's at home on his own a lot of the time. He's nine. His sister is 23. There are lots of families that have children in steps and stones. So if you have a 16 or an 18-year-old in a house with a 10-year-old, they're being exposed to stuff That's anyway. That's right, yes. So, and in our situation, it's probably a little bit easier for me to um, be strong about this because he, he's not able to say in the house, well, he's on it and he's not being exposed to it directly. Yeah. Even though I know when he goes to people's houses, those games are there. And I have said, you know, you're not allowed to play. And I have spoken to a parent who said to me, what will I do? My 11-year-old was up in somebody's house and they were playing an 18s game. And I said, just ring the parent and say, say, just say gently, listen, next time he's there, I'd prefer if he didn't play it. You know, and would so, you not be um, afraid in that situation the parent would feel judged? You know, there'd be a bit of awkwardness no, then. No, because I think that it's like you said earlier, you know, parents are very good and they're very responsible. And for some reason, they have their reason for allowing this to happen in their house. They've made this choice and you can't judge them. All you can do is say, I'd prefer if my ch- child didn't that when yeah. he's there. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, I have to take another quick break. Thanks for that, Breed, and we'll be back with more after these. Talking Point on News Talk 106 to 108. And welcome back to Talking Point. And we're talking about gaming this morning and children. And in studio is Jamie McCormick, who's a games researcher. Afra Kerr is a lecturer in sociology in Maynooth University. And Coleman Nocter is a child psychotherapist and author of Cop On. So, Jamie, in preparation for the programme, um, I did actually sit down with my children <laughs> last night and just question them more closely on the whole idea of community management, that when they're online, either on Minecraft, where they'd be working a lot with strangers, or um, playing the PlayStation games, where mostly, actually, they claim it really is their friends and boys that they know from school, um, that there are different ways of moderation. So in Minecraft, you can mute people, you can block people. You know, if anyone is misbehaving, the community does seem to deal with them. Are you, are you confident in the ability of the online community to self-regulate? It depends on the company. Right. Uh, so in, in my experience, obviously, with games publishing, there was staff there and there would be terms of use for using a particular product. So the context would be, as you said earlier on, like say that there was a, we wouldn't necessarily have had very much voice chat, but we would have had text chat and forums and all that. So if somebody was coming across being racist or abusive or, you know, sexually aggressive or homophobic or anything like that, uh, many of the, the the games have the ability to put on different consequences. So you might restrict people's access to certain functions. You might be able to boot them off. Um, I know some uh, some friends of mine would have worked down in Cork. They would have had like suicide alerts where right. they had a policy in there that if somebody was on there saying like, you know, I'm going to end it all, they would be able to contact the police. Again, when it comes to parents, you know, when I grew up, you didn't have the voice element. You might have had the text chat but the voice element wasn't there. So the first thing that you can do is, if you have a concern, don't get them a microphone to mm-hmm. begin with. You know, because that, okay, fair enough, they may hear things because it's coming out of the screen, but they can't participate. Secondly, you know, uh, my sister and my niece who's 16, when she would have been growing up online, there was the rule that you could go online, but the parents has the access to the account so that any time they can log in and see what it is. Minecraft, you can set up a server. You know, there's, you know, that anyone can set up a Minecraft server and run that and have different people coming in. And those people will come in and collaborate around it. Now, 
most of the modern consoles will have reporting mechanisms. You know, they have big staff there that can go in, they can kick people off the network. Um, again, it's, you know, in terms of proactively doing it, you can't do it. It's a reactive thing. Um, so, but it is really down to it, you know, and out of all the, the conversations, most of those flags were raised when a parent was not necessarily like hanging over the shoulder, but they could hear, hang on a second here, this is a 14-year-old, well, someone who's masquerading as a 14-year-old. They have a very deep voice for a 14-year-old. And as you said yourself earlier on, Coleman, that, uh, you know, you could be playing against a 59-year-old in in yeah. Arkansas. You know, that could be perfectly fine, but obviously there's a line there. Now, when it comes to, uh, you know, that can happen in any online environment. It can happen on the phone. It can happen on text message. It can happen on social media. It can happen, you know, in person. You know, that is a risk with any sort of online activity. Uh, when it comes to the game's moderation, though, you know, many of the companies do have the tools that are in there. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, if you have a 12-year-old kid and they are playing an 18s game, you need to assume that the majority of the people are going to be playing that game are 18, 19, and probably up to 40 because that's the nature of the game. Coleman, like when you hear the list of ways that the children can access the outside world and the outside world can access them and all via this router sitting in the front hall, like it is much harder now, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, all the research would say that our physical communities have never been smaller in terms of our neighbourhoods and our virtual communities have never been greater. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And you were kind of saying this is the new street, but it's like giving your, rather than going from the safe cross code, giving them a bus fare into Central Bank and saying, find your way around there. You know what I mean? You wouldn't do that. You'd go with them. Um, and, you know, the internet is a city and there's some wonderful places in there. There's museums and art galleries and all these sorts of sports activities, but there's some pretty seedy spots as well. And I just think we need to be really careful around how we manage our children's negotiation of that space. And I think there is a responsibility on us to help them to do it rather than waiting for them to take a wrong turn and then try to act on it. And the message really does seem to be you need to be almost doing this with them. Yes, you know, yes. so it, it's in the sitting room and you're sitting down. You have to try and play the game yourself and try and figure it out. And that's much more difficult, Sarah. We mm. would have sat here a few years ago and said, put the PC in the sitting room and you'd be fine because you'd be able to watch at their shoulder. Average house is about eight portals to the internet now yeah. when you take in mum's phone, dad's phone, laptops, tablets. So the surveillance piece, that's almost become too difficult. So what you're trying to do now is trying to get the child an internal decision-making process where they can see red flags and click the red X themselves. And that's where you have to teach them how to do that and how to manage that. They're not going to pick that up by themselves. That's how you get involved in their online activities. They're, and uh, As Jamie's saying, start your supervision really tight and then you, you know, wean back as they show a responsibility to be able to manage that. But you don't just hand them the device and say, best of luck with that. We'll I, see you I remember 16. once as a child, my mother finally cracked up because we were watching TV too much and she put the TV into the back of the car and drove off to work with it. And I remember looking out the window thinking we were the most unfortunate children in Ireland. And a few months ago, I put the router into the car and drove off with it. <laughs> <laughs> it has come full cycle. But I think that what yeah. we're, in terms of looking at in my work now, it, we have gone from the parents who know nothing to the parents who actually now are part of this. And I think, you know, the, there's a story my sister was telling where her friend was out and she looked in her bag and there was a wire there and she said, what is that? And she said, oh, it's the modem. I'm taking it with me because I don't want the babysitter and the kids playing this. And she said, do you do that every night? And she was like, God, no, I wouldn't be able to live without my Wi-Fi. But it's kind of, you know, we can't say to kids, eat your porridge while we have a packet of crisps. You have to manage our own relationship with technology yes. as well. And so, you know, if we have this kind of device that we can't let down and can't let up and we're just saying you can only have a half an hour a day 
you just have to be conscious yeah, of that Yeah, my too. children are very quick to pull me up on that if I'm sitting at the laptop and the telly is on. Two devices, mommy, two devices. <laughs> <laughs> very argumentative children. I wonder where they got it from and I have to leave it there. So Jamie McCormick, Africa, Coleman Nocter and Breedhorn, many thanks for joining me today. Thanks to Eva Breen who produced. Bobby Kerr is up next and thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to this Newstalk 106 to 108 podcast. To download other programs or for more information, go to newstalk.ie.